Good morning, Adventure Tribe. How are you guys? Today is going to be epic. I heard, I heard the message for service. It was amazing. But before we get to that, can we just thank our media team? Wasn't that so good? That I love that. I love that. We have a whole bunch of people that work behind the scenes to get the word out, to get the message out that not only that we are here and that we want to just absolutely love people and um, see them set free, but also that we serve a God who has the same goals in mind. Amen? And so we have a social media team, a communications team, media teams, and I just want to... Um, just acknowledge them again this morning and just say thank you to anybody who's involved in that. Can we just give them a round of applause again? Well, this morning we have a really special, special guest. It's my friend Billy Calderwood, but not only is he my friend, he's also my boss. So be nice, be on your best behavior. Um, he has an amazing word for us this morning. I first met Billy. Um, years ago, when we both served on the National Church Committee for our denomination, which is called Foursquare, in case you're wondering, we're part of a larger denomination. And uh, Billy was, it was a group of people that are amazing people and, and really, really passionate for the Lord, but they're a pretty serious group. <laughs> Billy was the silliest one in the room. So 100%. I was always looking. I, I'm highly motivated by fun. So <laughs> I was looking for somebody that was going to have fun. And Billy was definitely, he did not disappoint. We had a lot of fun. Anyway, we were on that National Church Committee together when Billy was a pastor of a church called Media City Church in Burbank, California. And then about eight months ago, the Lord brought Billy a different assignment. And he is now the district supervisor for the Western District of the Foursquare Church, which is all of California, Nevada, and Utah. So it's a pretty huge geographic area. But he has been doing an amazing job. But he asked me to be on his prayer team. And so I've been really yeah, thank you. humbled and honored to be able to pray for him. And I would just like to invite you guys to join with me and pray for him um, his job is not an easy one. He has a lot of responsibility on his shoulders, and um, God knew that he and his beautiful wife, Kristen, could handle it. So mm -hmm. could we just pray for him now before he gets yeah, up and, you, and brings the word of God yeah. to us? Because it's you, Jesus. crazy good today. So, mm -hmm. Well, Jesus, we just thank you so much for Billy and Kristen and their family. Lord, we thank you that you send us people who are faithful, people who love you, people who are passionate for you and people who love people. Lord, I thank you that that is who Billy is. I thank you, Lord, that not only is he wise and deep and fun and funny and, and a great communicator, Lord, he loves you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. What better qualifications could there be for someone to come and speak to us and bring your word, God? So we just pray your blessing. We pray you'd fill him to overflowing. Lord, open our hearts to receive what your Holy Spirit wants to speak to us, Lord. We want our lives to be transformed in your presence. And so we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Could you join me in welcoming my boss and my friend, Billy Calderwood? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate you. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. I... Uh, I'm married to Kristen. We've been married 26 years. We've got three kids. They are 24, uh, 22, and 20 um, now, and um, God's really blessed us. And for the last 11 years, I had the privilege of pastoring uh, a church in our denominational family called uh, Media City Church in Burbank. Um, and it was fun to pastor in Burbank because that's where like, a lot of the film and television studios are. And so I'm a country boy. Like, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. No, like, nowhere. The town I lived in was called Shandon. There was 250 people when I moved there. Um, and since I was five, the town has grown by 1,000 people. There's now 1,200 people that live there. So I'm a cow and tractor guy. Um, and, yeah, come on. My, where are my people at? That's right. 
Ah, that's good. And then I married this girl who, uh, she grew up in Chicago and then uh, moved to Long Beach and she was an actress and she was beautiful and talented and funny and smart and I didn't know what she was doing hanging with me, but I didn't question it. (laughs) I'm like, Lord's trying to be good to me here. I am not going to ruin this. Uh, So anyway, we're really thankful. And for the last 11 years, uh, it's been great to pastor in Burbank and uh, in a town where so many things are plastic. Um, and made up, and veneers. Uh, how many know authenticity is a gift? And sometimes it's just good to get in front of people, tell the truth. But it's a fun church to pastor. Um, <laughs> it was all the it's all the shows that you watch. Somebody in my church probably worked on them, um, but you but they're not famous. They're like electricians and set painters and all that kind of stuff. Uh, my friend, my good friend Dan Garza. Uh, how many know that there, God puts people everywhere? And there's no place so evil or lost that God says, no, no, not there. God's sending people everywhere. Uh, And I just began to realize how many people in Hollywood deeply love Jesus. Uh, My friend Dan is a puppeteer for the Jim Henson Company. Um, They just re-released, they did a reboot of Fraggle Rock, and he's the voice of the great big guy. Um, And, uh, but he was on a Showtime show with Jim Carrey for a while, uh, where he was, it was like a Mr. Rogers type show on Showtime. And he was, did all these different puppets that interacted with Jim. And he said, I could tell this guy's struggling. There was a lot of spiritual darkness. So I started showing up to work an hour early. So I lay my hands on his clothes. I lay my hands on his trailer. And I began to pray that this man has an encounter with Jesus. Um, And we worked together all the time. And I got to share my faith with him. How many know, like, God's, God's got people everywhere. It's fun to be a part of Foursquare. Because we are a global church. Um, one of the saddest things that I saw uh, on, on Facebook after the Russian invasion of Ukraine was people saying, oh, well, I don't trust like nonprofits for how they're going to spend money. So I want to get money, direct relief directly to Ukrainians. And so uh, some Americans started renting Airbnbs from Ukrainians so that they would directly get the money. They obviously didn't show up. And I'm like, well, the sad thing about that is the only people that are actually getting money are people that are wealthy enough to own a second residence. Foursquare Church has been established in Ukraine for over 25 years. We have 33 churches, multiple orphanages, and multiple drug rehab centers. Come on, right? Isn't that cool? And so when you give and tithe as a part of this church, you're actually, you're not just supporting a local church, you're supporting what God's doing all over the world. I get to oversee 430 churches in four states. There's about 1,600 churches that we're a part of in this group here in the United States. We have 17,000 churches just in Brazil. We planted 1,500 churches in the Francophone nations in Africa just over the last few years. We have 1,500 churches that speak Mandarin or Cantonese. It's amazing what God's doing in the world. Foursquare Disaster Relief has the ability, we have these, we have eight, they're stationed in strategic places all over the world, but we have eight, they're like two suitcase sizes. Um, they're water purification systems. They can purify ocean water, filthy brackish water, make it, make it potable, um, and we can have one of those to any place in the world within 24 hours. It's super cool, and, and we're kind of leveraging our global strength to help represent Jesus everywhere. Um, and it's my joy to serve local churches and get to see the great things that God's doing, like right here uh, in Draper and Avenger Church. It's, uh, it's a joy to be with you guys. Um, and as Jody said, um, the inmates are running the asylum, friends. You should pray. should definitely pray because uh, a little scary. No, no, no. You said, yeah, you, well, you, you said that the fun-loving people, like the least serious people in the room are like now in charge. I'm like, you're not wrong. Uh, God is so good and God's doing good things. Uh, I'm thankful. Well, it's good to be with you. I've got a word uh, and I'm so thankful I got to preach in the midst of this series of Jesus stories. And I'm so thankful I get to preach the story that was on my heart to bring, and it happens to land just as you're coming up into the Easter season. It really, it really, the Holy Spirit's like super smart. Um, like, he's so smart. And like, I just do my own little thing, and God's like, ha, ah, watch this, I'm gonna blow your mind. It's a part of a bigger thing. Um, anybody glad God's smart? Yeah, thank God he's smart. Uh, never, uh, never once did Jesus say, oh my God, I'm, I'm so out of ideas. I hope Billy can fix it. 
Not once. Not once has he. Um, I'm fascinated by the concept of time, and I'm fascinated by the concept of storytelling. Uh, and Jesus is a master storyteller, but also those that, that write the narratives of Scripture, they arrange the stories kind of in a particular order. And John does it a little bit differently than the other gospel writers. Um, but John 11 is where we're going to be today. And I want to talk about um, three siblings, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Before I jump into that story, though, I want to talk about this, this issue of time. Can you say this with me? Say, if only. Do you ever have regrets about the past? I, I do sometimes. Like, I, I live, I, it's hard for me sometimes to be present because I'm in the past or the future. But some of us have some if onlys. Some of my if onlys are you ever rehash a conversation you had like three weeks ago and you're like, dude, it would have been so funny if I would have thought of this then. <laughs> that would have been amazing. And like, you're going back, like, oh man, I'm never going to get it back. And you're like, I just thought of the perfect response. You know what I mean? You ever say something dumb to your spouse? And you're like, mm, that was a bad idea. Uh, if only I hadn't said that. Um, and some of us have like serious if onlys. And, and there's a sense of lamenting and a sense that maybe life would be different if only. If only my parents hadn't gotten a divorce. If only... I had invested in that business when I had the opportunity. If only I'd been a better student. If only I hadn't dated that loser for so long. Amen. If only I... <laughs> I don't need to get into where that was, what's behind some of the amens. I'm just going to let that lie, whatever it is. Sometimes it's uh, if only's of regret. It's if only's of failure. If it's only's of sin. Sometimes it's if, it's, if, it's some if only's of things that happened to us that weren't our fault. If only my father hadn't been an alcoholic. If only that tragic accident that injured me hadn't happened and left me with physical and emotional scars and PTSD. If only my spouse hadn't cheated on me. If only I hadn't been passed over for that promotion. If only the coronavirus hadn't disrupted my entire industry and got me laid off from my job. I mean, we have some if onlys. We have some things that if only this, if only that, it might be different today or better. And I live in my if only sometimes. And, but also, I, I live in some days. Anybody have some some days? You're like, it's difficult to just be sometimes in this present moment because we're thinking about how different things would be if the past was different, or we're leaning so hard into the future because we're trying to, we're, we're believing for better days. We're hoping for something else to happen. Oh, someday. Someday I'll go to Tahiti. <laughs> someday. Uh, and we, we someday ourselves out of the present moment sometimes. Remember when our kids were little, I would say, you know, someday they'll be out of diapers and, uh, and, and, and I'll have the freedom to produce, pursue some kind of other interests. And then there's those moments where I'm like, God, I'd, go, I'd, I'd give anything to go back and have a diaper day with them. You know what I mean? Um, someday. I'll be more financially independent. Someday I'll book that job. Someday I'll get that promotion. Someday I'll find Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Someday the person I'm married to will get more right. <laughs> Someday I'll be able to take a vacation that's really great and forget a little bit how much I dislike some of my everyday reality. Someday I'll have peace. Someday I'll have contentment. Someday it will be enough. Someday the deep desires of my heart will be answered. Do you relate to the if-onlys, and do you relate to the some-days like me? I want to share this story. This is about Jesus' close friends. Um, these are people that Jesus is uh, like his chosen family. These are folks that he's chosen. These are people he spends a lot of time with. These are people he knows deeply. I can't help but wonder if part of what bonded Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus to Jesus was certain types of shared lived experience. By the time Jesus begins his earthly ministry, Joseph's no longer in the picture. Last time we read of Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, he's 12. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, may, uh, their parents are never mentioned either. You wonder if maybe they had a similar experience of losing a parent young. We don't know what the different things are that bonded Jesus so dearly to Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but we know that these were his close friends. And they show up multiple times in the Gospels as his close friends. And Lazarus becomes sick. He's ill. So, 
Verse 3 in John 11 says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. How do we know when bad things happen? Sending for Jesus, good idea. Right? Good idea. So, and, and these people, not only are they close friends of Jesus, but they've been around. Jesus' earthly ministry has been rolling for some time now. They've seen amazing things. They've seen miracles happen. They've heard about the water turning into wine. They have been present when Jesus healed the sick, when Jesus opened blind eyes. They, at this point, they've heard the stories about the multiplication of bread and fish, and maybe they had even been there. They'd heard about Jesus speaking to wind and waves and demonstrating he has the authority even over all of nature. Jesus is amazing, and they know it. There's no doubt in their mind in Jesus' ability. They've seen it, and they've seen it, and they've seen it, and they've seen it again. Have you seen Jesus do amazing things? Maybe, maybe you're here, you're like, man, I'm all in for Jesus. I, I know that there were some times in my life where I saw such amazing stuff, even though I had tons of questions about the Bible. I still have tons of questions about the Bible. There's a lot of leprosy in the Old Testament and bodily discharge and all kinds of things. And I'm like, I'm reading through Leviticus, and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> I mean, I get that. I do my Bible reading every year, and I have for a long time, but I get to Leviticus, and I'm like, I'm going to eat after, and I'm going to eat before I... Some gross and disgusting stuff in there. But the overall story that it's telling, how many of the Bible tells the truth about the human condition, even when the human condition is not pretty? So that's what we got. We've got the story of the actual world and God interacting with the actual world, not... God interacting with an ideal world. And we began to realize that God had patience for them. Maybe he'll also have patience for me. And that's pretty good news. That's pretty good news to me. So they sinned for Jesus and because they've seen his power. I, I had some incredible, I've had incredible things happen to me. I remember one time I was leading a small group for uh, a bunch of high school age boys. Um, let me just say this. It was really dangerous to give high school students a Bible. Because they start getting all hopped up on Jesus, and then they, they want to see the cool, they want to do the stuff. They want to see the things, and they want to do the stuff, right? Like, and, and high school boys are never going to be content to be a part of a church that sells them. Just try to be a good person. How many know I love the name of your church? Because God made you for glory and destiny and adventure. You are not made to sit on your hands and try to be a good person, Right? You're, meant for, you're made for adventure. You're made for danger. I had a parent one time, um, like, you know, I, we were sending, up, sending all these young missionaries out of our church. And, and this, this group of young women and men were going to Iraq. And, and they were working with refugees uh, from the uh, Yezidi population and these women that had just been horribly abused. And they were going there. And, and, and some, some lady said to the parent of one of these young missionaries, said, how dare you allow your children to go into the world into a place that's so dangerous? And my th- response was, how dare you not? How dare you not let your kids grow up having a big faith in a big God who can do big things? You're not meant for safe. You're meant for significance. Those don't roll together all the time. So hanging out with these high school boys all hopped up on Jesus, I'm like, whoa, man. It was amazing. So anyway, we're hanging out there. We're on a Saturday. I'm 17. I'm like the oldest guy there. I happen to be leading the Bible study, and there's about 10 guys coming in, um, and some of them have been Christians for like five minutes. Some of them weren't Christians at all. Um, some of them, they had been saved, but their mouth hadn't gotten saved yet. You know what I'm talking about? You got, you got people like that. Some of you, that's you. You're like, I'm saved, but boy, I cuss a little. Um, that was who was in the room. It was these guys. And they were all like, you know, some of them really brand new. And, and then one of them, Jeff, brought his friend. He brought his friend Steve, and Steve was 16 at the time. And Steve came in in horrible pain with his foot all bandaged. He had jumped off the bleachers, the top of the bleachers at Rigetti High School, and it didn't go right. He landed on the side of his foot. he broken some multiple bones and torn some ligaments, and he was in bad, bad, bad shape. They had x-rayed his foot on Friday 
toward the end of the day, when this happened at the end of the school day, and they saw all these broken bones and torn ligaments, it was a mess. And they said, we need the swelling to go down and you need to see a specialist. Specialist's not going to be in town until Monday. Remember I told you I grew up in podunk nowhere. You know, we got to wait for the country doctor to come around or whatever. It, it, wasn't, it was a little like that. But, but they, they said, you need, we're sending you home with some pain meds over the week and you got to see a specialist on Monday because you, you're, you're a mess. So Steve got wheeled in to this meeting and he's sitting there, doesn't know anything about Jesus, never read the Bible before, doesn't have a family that had much to do with church. And he's sitting there with his foot up in pain while we all read stories about Jesus and talk about what we think they mean. At the end of the Bible study, and I'm just so focused on the Bible study itself. I'm going to do a good job. I'm like my first Bible study. Try not to screw it up. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the 15-year-olds goes, dude, could, could we pray for Steve? I immediately felt super bad because I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> like so concerned about getting the Bible study right. I'm like, oh yeah, we should pray for Steve. And at that point, you know, once somebody says it, it would be rude not to pray. You know what I mean? You ever, pray, you ever pray a prayer because it's expected that you should pray a prayer? Like we're at the end of the Bible study, Steve's in pain, we should definitely pray a prayer. You're not praying because you have any hope or faith that anything's going to happen. You're like, you're praying, you're, you're praying because it would be super rude to not pray, right? And the problem is these guys have just all been reading stories of Jesus. And so they don't know like church code that you play, play, pray polite prayers, you know, like you pray, Lord, help this, our brother Steve, and this is moment of suffering to endure until he can see the doctor on Monday. These guys don't pray any of that. They're just like, Jesus, you're cool and stuff. Heal Steve's foot. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. One of them may have even cussed a little. Remember I told you their mouth wasn't safe. Jesus, you were so effing great. Heal Steve's foot right now. And I'm like, oh, you ruined it. You just... <laughs> The Holy Spirit is very offended by that kind of language. And as the oldest member of this Bible study, I'm thinking to myself, they're praying all these crazy prayers. They're going to look at me when nothing happens. And I'm going to have to explain, well, you know, sometimes healing is a problem. I'm going through, I'm just, they're all praying in faith. I'm living in doubt and unbelief world over here. But as each guy prayed, and it finally got last to me, the environment in the room completely changed. And when it came to me, I didn't even pray. I just said, I command the bones and Steve's foot to fuse back together. I command the torn ligaments to heal. And I'm like, what am I saying? I'd never prayed like that in my life. I stopped praying. I just started telling his foot what to do. And I go, this, is, this feels weird. I hope it works. And then Steve started to yell. And he got up off the couch and he started to jump up and down on his foot. And my first thought was, bro, you're making it so much worse. <laughs> sit down, homie. This is going to like, man, you were injured, bro. And he starts to yell and he starts to cry. And he says, I feel the bones of my foot moving back together. Come on. Come on. He went to his doctor the next Monday. The doctor says, there's no way you should have walked in here. Took another x-ray and said, I don't know what happened to you, young man. Either these x-rays are wrong and they x-rayed the wrong patient, or you actually had a legit miracle. Either way, I'm glad you're feeling better. Come on. I moved away from that town shortly after that, and I heard that Steve graduated high school and immediately left for the mission field. And I thought, well, that's a cool story. But I hadn't talked to him or run into him again. I was with the first church I planted. My wife and I and our leadership team were at the Seacrest Motel in Pismo Beach, California for a church leadership retreat, and the elevator opened, and there was a man standing on the, coming into the elevator in full Muslim garb with a beard down to here. And I hear him say, Billy Calderwood? And I go, oh, Steve. And he said, hey, I'm in town visiting family. I just want to say thank you for that time that you and, and that high school small group prayed for me and I experienced God's healing for the last 10 years because I'm married now. For the last 10 years, my wife and I have been living amongst the Bengali Muslims in India, one of the largest unreached people groups with the gospel. And we've seen thousands and thousands of Muslims come to Christ, mostly through our healing ministry. Come on, right? So how many of you know that if you're, if you're like me and you've seen those kind of stories, like I went through a lot of phases where I started questioning things about my faith. I never questioned God. I'm like, I may, I, maybe I'm not sure we're doing the right thing with the Bible. You know, maybe I had questions about, 
you know, different types of things, but like the existence of God was just so in my face, so many ways. And so like Mary and Martha, when a crisis happens, I'm like, you know what we should do? We should call Jesus. Because Jesus is amazing. Jesus has authority. Jesus has power. Anybody with me on that? So Mary and Martha do. Verse four, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Verse five, most messed up verse in all of scripture. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What? Jesus runs to complete strangers. Like the Roman colonization of, of, of Israel was brutal. And this Roman centurion, these guys are the oppressors. They're the bad dudes. They're the enemy. Roman centurion goes and finds Jesus and says, could you come? My servant is sick. Jesus drops everything to go heal a Roman centurion's son. But when it's his good friends, his close friends, he's like, who's sick? Lazarus, I'm a wait. <laughs> what is happening here? This is just nuts. On his arrival, when he finally comes, Jesus found out that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, John eleven twenty one 21 says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if only you had been here. Let me say, if only. Lord, I know you have the power to heal. You could have spoke a word and my brother would be alive today. If only you had acted on time. If only you had come when we sent for you. This isn't an issue of faith. This isn't an issue of can he do it? This is an issue of deep confusion and heartbreak and loss and brokenness because Jesus didn't come on time. If only you had been here. my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Someday. How many know that Martha in this moment is living like we live with her if onlys and her someday? I believe that someday there'll be a resurrection of the righteous I believe that, Jesus, I'm a, I'm a good Israelite. I believe that deeply. But her hope in that moment was located in the past or located somewhere off in the distant future. And Jesus draws her once again to the present moment. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. One of the things that I love and respect about Martha so much in this text is that even in her grief and her disappointment, when God didn't act, when Jesus didn't do what she felt he should have done, what she wished he would have done, what she knew he had the power to do. In this moment of her grief and heartbreak and disappointment, she still puts her faith all into Jesus. Some of you, this is a word for you. Your, faith's been, your heart's been broken and you're hurt. And you're in this moment where God didn't do the thing that you expected him to do or thought he should. And nonetheless, Jesus is standing in front of you right now saying, you still all in? Are you all in if this story goes down different than you thought it would? Are you all in if I don't make you rich and popular and Instagram famous in the next five years? Are you all in if you live your life in some relative form of obscurity and you're not, you're not a big deal? Are you all in if your story unfolds the way I want it to, not maybe the way you would like to write it? And she is. And Martha is. She's all in. She goes and calls her. Sister Mary, verse 32, 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have died. Says the same thing her sister said. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. John 13, 35 is the shortest verse in all of scripture. Two words, but powerful words. It says, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him? Jesus is wearing it on his sleeve. Jesus is weeping at the grief he sees in the eyes and in the tears of Martha and Mary, his beloved friends at the loss of their brother. He is in this moment with full empathy, understanding and knowing what his delay has cost these sisters. And he feels every bit of their pain. And he weeps with them. So much so that the the onlookers are like, Jesus clearly cared so much. Why didn't he come on time? Could not he, who opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Does this sound familiar? A cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, the practical, she's always practical. I love Martha. The sister of the dead man said, by this time, there is a bad odor. He's already been in there four days. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of all these people standing here. How many know there was a huge crowd? This is a miracle where Jesus is about ready to demonstrate not only can he multiply loaves and fish, not only could he turn water into wine, not only could he calm a storm, not only could he open blind eyes and heal the lame and the mute and the deaf, but Jesus is about ready to demonstrate that he has victory and authority over death itself. And this happens moments before the arrival in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, the crowd on Palm Sunday is so big because people had heard about the Lazarus miracle. People had heard about Lazarus. As a matter of fact, they're trying, they try to, the religious leaders after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, the religious leaders are trying to murder him because so many people are following Jesus because of this story. But Jesus has to tell a different kind of story with Lazarus. It's not a water into wine story. It's not an opening blind eye story. He chooses his friends to tell a different kind of story, a harder story, a more difficult story with a more painful dark valley in the middle. And he says, who can I ask? Somebody's going to have to die and then I'm going to raise them. Who can I ask to cast in this story? And he chooses his dearest and closest friends. But he weeps because he knows what it cost them. And he knows how hard it was. Some of you are friends of Jesus. And you haven't had the outcomes that you've wanted. You've been in a hard and difficult miracle, uh, middle, on the way to your miracle, because Jesus is telling a different kind of story in your life. You might be a part of Jesus, the greatest casting director of all time telling his story about victory over even death. Jesus takes away this. They take away the stone. Verse 43, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take the grave clothes off and let him go. Three things I want to say about this. The first one is kind of obvious, is that Jesus often takes too long. Has that been your experience in your life? You're like, Lord, I know you can. Where you at, though? Do you know what I mean? Like, where you at? Like, it, it's been a minute. The thing that's amazing is that Jesus is telling a different kind of story here. He's about ready to prefigure his own death and burial and resurrection, which we're going to celebrate on Easter in just a matter of weeks. But something has to happen through Lazarus' life. God is going to be glorified, but God's going to be glorified in a different way. This isn't going to be just another run-of-the-mill healing. This is going to be the Son of God demonstrating victory over death itself. 
but from the perspective of Mary and Martha. This is unbelievably painful. How many know when God's working out a, a, a grand ending to the story you're a part of, that long middle can feel like abandonment? God, do you just hate me? What happened? I've seen you do so many amazing things. Where's the miracle in my life? How come this hasn't unfolded like I know you can? I've seen you do. Why is this valley of the shadow of death so deep? Why is this treachery, treacherous journey so long, right? He's telling a different kind of story. Second thing that I, that I love about this is that Jesus is deeply moved by what we're going through. He knows he's asked a hard thing. He knows he's asked a hard thing of Mary and Martha. But in John 13, or John 11, 35, when Jesus weeps, it's important for me to know that Jesus weeps. Anybody else? Some of you right now need to understand that just because you've been on a hard journey and it hasn't gone the way you wanted it to go, that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't care. He cares deeply. Every tear that you've cried, every grief that you've felt, every dark moment where you're like, God, where are you? Jesus says, I feel those, all those things. I feel them right along with you. And just because the end of your story hasn't written yet and the miracle hasn't transpired yet, God is gonna get glorified. But I do want you to know that I relate with you on how painful this is. And I care so much. Jesus doesn't rush to the tomb. He weeps with Mary. He doesn't go, okay, 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 I'm here now, I'm gonna fix it. He takes the time to let them know, I get that this was super painful. And my heart breaks with yours. Some of you, what you're gaining from this message is a sense of perspective. You're like, oh yeah, 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 right, yeah, yeah, I get it. God's not done in my story yet. And maybe as a friend of Jesus, he's asking me to part of a, of a longer story, a longer term story with an even more glorious ending, and you're okay with that. Some of you are getting perspective. Others of you, what you need most this morning from this sermon is a sense of God's comfort. Because you have gone through some stuff, and it has been unbearably hard. And you shed a lot of tears, and Jesus wants you to know, but I'm with you. I'm not done with your story. You know that. But I want you to to get a, a touch of my comfort today. I want you to experience my presence today. I want you to know that I'm with you. Every tear you've cried has been one that has been near to my heart. The last thing about this is that Jesus is resurrection and life in this moment. When we're locating our attention in our if-onlys, if only something different would have happened in the past. Today would be different. If you're locating everything in the future, God, maybe someday, maybe someday things will turn around. How many know that Jesus is standing in front of you right now? And he is the embodiment of resurrection. And he is the embodiment of life. And some of us right now in this room, you're being challenged to do what Martha did before her miracle happened. Lord, I'm still all in. I believe that you're the son of God that was to come into the world. Some of you, um, you've been out of like a little, you've been in a little silent protest against God. You didn't do my thing that I wanted you to do. You ever been in a season of your life like, Jesus, you know I love you, but I don't like you a lot right now? Because I don't understand. And Jesus is like, it's okay that you feel that way. But I'm asking you, are you all in? Are you all in? Because I am not done in your story, and I want you to know how much I care about what you're experiencing. My son, for the last 14 months, is, he's a drummer. He went to Musicians Institute in Hollywood. Um, he's, uh, he's a hip-hop drummer, and he's flipping amazing. He's really good. But for the last 14 months, he's not been able to play. His hands started going numb just a little over a year ago. He started dropping sticks. Um, they think that maybe what initially, his initial diagnosis was acute, inflammatory, demyelinating polyneuropathy, which is a loss of motor function and it's a loss of sensation. 
And a lot of days, his entire body will be numb. His face will be numb. They still don't exactly know what's going on with him. He's seen special after specialist, doctor after doctor. And the second he started having symptoms, I'm like, call Jesus. My Jesus is great. I want the Steve Crawford treatment. I mean, I want that boom. Let's, let's, let's pray. Even if we pray badly, Jesus can still hear us. Aren't you glad that when you pray badly, Jesus still hears you? Like, you don't have to be perfect. You can just yell, God help! And God's like, I got you. I hear it. And this whole process has been so discouraging for him and long. And the other day he said to me, tears pouring down his face. He was angry for a long time. Now he's just heartbroken. I can't do what I love. I believe God called me to do this. And these are his words. He goes, I don't know if God just abandoned me or if he was never really real. And I don't know which one is worse. And in his grief, I just sat with him and I wept. I got no answers for you, son, but God, I love you. And I know, and I know, and I know, and I know that I know in the depth of my heart, this is not how your story ends. And we talked about Lazarus. And we talked about how maybe in your life right now, God's telling the bigger story. It's not just about the healing he's going to do. There's some grand and glorious way Jesus is going to be glorified in your life. And we're going to continue to contend for his healing. But he's developing that sense of perspective. Wait, God's telling a story in my life. But also he's beginning to experience the comfort of God. I don't know why it always doesn't go down the way I want it to go down. But I know, even if I'm in a long middle, I want to take all of my if-onlys, I want to take all of my Sundays, and I want to bring them together to Jesus, who's standing right in front of me as the embodiment of resurrection and life, and say, Lord, I'm not exactly sure what you're doing. Maybe you're not doing the miracle yet. Maybe you're just weeping with me in my pain. And maybe that's enough right now. I don't know what it is that you need to experience of Jesus. Maybe it's perspective. God's not done in your story and he's going to tell a glorious story with your life. Maybe it's been a long time and what you most need right now is comfort. Maybe your protest against the Lord for not doing it your way and telling the story your way, maybe that needs to end today and you're going to be like, yeah, I'm all in with the Lord again. I'm all in with the Lord again, even though it hasn't gone my way yet. I preached this message at another church and this young man came up to me afterwards and he goes, wow, it's like you set out to develop a really robust theology of suffering. And I'm like, no one sets out to develop a robust theology of suffering. I want a robust theology of all I do is win, 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 no matter what. That's, that's a theology I'm setting out to, like you only develop a theology of suffering because stuff doesn't go your way. Like, I was all book of Acts, and I hated the book of Job. Like, I'm like, why is this even in there? Job has bad friends. He loses everything. He's sad for 40 chapters. He asks God why. God never tells him why. Super frustrating. I'm like, book of Acts, miracle, miracle, healing, miracle, evangelism, miracle, church playing, miracle, miracle, miracle. I'm, I'm, I'm about that Acts life. I'm not about that Job life. And then you realize, oh, they're part of the same Bible. And how many know Acts has some Job moments? And Job has, ends with a big Acts moment, right? And sometimes we need to understand that there's a long middle in our story that God has committed to be with us in the middle. And he's committed to pen the end. And he's committed to his presence being with us in the meantime, amen. Would you close your eyes with me? I want to close this in prayer. And before I do that, I just ask, would you take your left hand and hold that in front of you? I want you to imagine... Just holding your if-onlys before the Lord. What's your big if-only? Maybe it's a personal regret, something you feel shame about. Maybe it's a, a really bad situation that happened to you. Somebody wronged you, somebody hurt you, somebody did something. But I want you to imagine taking in your left hand your if-onlys and saying, Jesus, you know about all of these. You know about all of these, and you're still writing my story. This isn't the end. Would you take your right hand and put that out in front of you too? And I want you to think about the last week or so 
and every time you've said something along the lines of, well, someday, someday it'll get better. Someday I'll find this. Someday, whatever your regrets about the past, whatever your hopes for the future are, we just take both of them and hold them in front of Jesus. Lord, there are precious men and women watching online, precious men and women in this room, precious men and women in the sound of my voice that you are encouraging right now. You are the master storyteller. We, you are the master casting director. We don't get to choose what kind of a part we're going to play in this story, but we do get to choose whether or not we will be all in. And today, Lord, there's a room filled with men and women here that are saying, I'm all in with Jesus. And maybe the story in my life will have a lot of short-term, easy, immediate victories. And maybe it'll be a longer middle and there'll be big victories along the way. However you, you decide, you get to write it, Jesus. And at the end of the day, it's a story of a Jesus who was a healer and who was a savior and who offers us all, every last one of us, victory over death. So we have our hope in you. And Lord, would you give us a little bit of an insight into what you're doing in our lives right now because you're present and you're powerful now. Would you give folks perspective that need perspective and would you minister comfort where comfort is needed? You're not abandoned by the Lord. You're deeply loved by him. Lastly, if you're here today and you have never, for the first time in your life, made that I'm all in for Jesus. After Lazarus is raised, Jesus himself seems to endure a horrifying defeat. He's brutally murdered publicly. But in that, God who became man pays the penalty for all of our sin. He absorbs the full shock and weight and horror of evil in his body personally. He just takes it all. And when the evildoers had done their worst, the resurrection vindicates a life filled with love. Some of us are scared to sacrifice and to love well because we're afraid that maybe we'll be taken advantage of. How many of you can live a life of glorious service, pour yourself out on behalf of people, and even if you're wounded and hurt and taken advantage of, how I many you know God always vindicates a life lived in love? And the evil never gets the last word. The evil never gets the last word. But for you, today, maybe you just need to say a yes to Jesus. Lord, I'm asking you to be my Savior and my Lord. I'm asking you to forgive my sin. I'm asking for you to give me a new life. I'm asking for you to be the master storyteller in my life, and I'm going to be all in for you. With your eyes closed, if that's you today, and you're saying, yeah, I need to give my life to Jesus today, and I've not done that before. Would you just slip up your hand in this place? I just want to connect with you as a point of agreement with you. If you're here and that's, yeah, that's me. Online audience as well, if this is you, I'm a, Pastor Jody's going to tell you in just a moment um, what you can do to take a next step. And if that's you here today, there's next steps for you, and you're in a great church that wants to help you grow in your relationship with God. And how many know we're not meant to do this alone? You're going to grow with some glorious people that are on this journey as well and encourage you. Jesus, would you touch every person that's in this place? Thank you for this time. Thank you for the reminder of your love, reminder of your power, reminder that you get to write the end of the story. Even if the middle seems a little long, you are at work doing something glorious in all of our lives. We give you glory and praise. Amen. Thanks, friends. Wow. You know, I love that the passage in Hebrews, it says that the word of God is living and active. I sense that this morning God's word was living and active in us, in each one of us. Whew, that was beautiful. Wow, I'm blown away. Thank you. Pastor Kaule was just telling me, just right as I um, went up to play the keyboard, and she said, this is our theme. This is our theme. You know, as a church, we've been through a lot. 
As individuals, we've been through a lot. But Jesus has good things. Jesus is a resurrection and he is a life. He's moving those stones out of the way. Amen? If you are someone and you need prayer this morning for anything, 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 um, please, I'd like to invite you to just come up. Um, if you prayed to receive Jesus this morning, if you prayed to give your life to Jesus, we would love to be able to, to walk with you and as Pastor Billy said, to, to bring the next steps to you. But if not, I just want to thank those of you who joined us online. We love you. We miss you. And I, would, I just want to pray a blessing over you as you go. Remember, take somebody to brunch, right? It's very spiritual to eat with people. Well, Lord, I do want to speak a blessing over this amazing group of people. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit. God, that you would illuminate this word in our souls. Lord, that we would not walk away from this unchanged, but we would be changed by your word. Lord, we would know, God, that even when we don't understand you, even when you're taking too long, we thank you that you call your friends to do hard things. And Lord, we receive it and we embrace it. And we want to walk in a way that would be worthy of the calling that you have given each one of us. So I pray that you would just pour out your spirit. Magnify your word, for your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Go eat. Go eat.